so, wow. Well, we could probably go home, but we're not going to, okay? You're like, all right. Um, we got a lot of things to do. If you got a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. But if, you haven't, if you're new with us um, or if you just slept since last Sunday, okay, um, we've been walking verse by verse, verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Philippians is the New Testament. And we will be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. Summertime is upon us. And. Um, I think when summertime hits, it's because I'm a Floridian, okay? Um, and I, I have to go to the beach, at least, for it to be summer. And a couple of years ago, we were at the beach, and I bought a raft. Not like a crazy raft, okay? But a pretty big raft. And me and my niece were on the raft, and it was just a great day. You know those days? Where the sun's shining, but it's not too hot. I'm in the water, and I kind of zone out. And we just keep drifting and drifting and drifting. I don't know how long it was because you don't carry, you know, most of us, we only keep time. You know, we're not Boy Scouts. Most of you aren't, and, you know, keeping time by the sun. You keep it on your cell phone. I don't have a watch on. I don't know how long we were out there. But I do know is when my niece goes, hey, where are we? I was like, well, just look on the shore. And I looked up and I was like, I don't recognize those buildings. We had gone a long way. Why? The current, we had drifted off course. And I want to propose to you today something that Paul is going to talk about here, that drifting is a real danger in the Christian life and drifting into what you put your hope and confidence in. Hope and confidence in that, that you have a right standing before God. Oftentimes, we begin at the place, and this is where the Christian life is, that we don't put confidence in the flesh or in our worldly deeds or in our adherence to the law. But if you are going to be right with God, justified, justification is one of the biblical words for it. If you're going to be, have a right standing before God and have new life because of that, it is not because of anything you could do. Works of the law only basically we are all lawbreakers and we all sin and we all are condemned because of sin. You can't be right with God on your own. However, there is a righteousness revealed through Jesus Christ that can be entered into by faith. And here's the problem. Oftentimes, especially it just, it's just across cultures, we want to add something to our salvation. We want to say, here's the reason I know I'm saved. Here is the reason why I'm saved because I added something to it. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus and faith in Jesus and his finished work alone is the only way someone might be right with God. No other way. But there's a drift that happens if we don't continually come back to the gospel. And there's a drift that's happening in the Philippian church. And I want you to look in, verse, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is no trouble for me, but is safe for you. Now, he says finally, okay? Now, many of you, as soon as you see the word finally, because you're super literal, you know that there's a chapter four, and this is the beginning of chapter three, okay? And he says finally. And so finally is usually something you use to wrap it up. But have you ever been to church before? When the pastor says finally, including this one, 
It's not finally. You got a long more time to go. Even if they say in conclusion, okay? You're like, okay, where's the conclusion? Food's coming. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. So Paul is saying here, unless some of you are like, he said what I've been thinking for years. I understand. I've been there. He says, finally, there's still about 40% of the letter to go, but he is making his final appeal and getting them ready for this truth that they are about to hear. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Because he's about, and he tells them to rejoice because there's something difficult that is going to come. And I want you to get this. He has told us to rejoice. In this, he tells us to rejoice in this book about 18 times. And the rejoicing doesn't happen when there's smooth sailing, especially at this point with the Philippian church. Remember, Paul's in prison. Epaphroditus, who they sent, the guy with a bad name but a good task, he left Philippi to go to Rome to help Paul. Then he got sick and almost died. And so a lot of things are happening that are tough. And then there is these enemies of the church that we're going to talk about here in a minute who are coming and trouble them. Here's the thing. If you are waiting to be happy in Jesus until there's smooth sailing, you will not ever be happy on this planet. Joy and rejoicing happens, and especially in Jesus, it happens in the midst of the fire and the chaos. But how many times do we say this? Once this, once I get this bill paid, once I get this, once I get that. FYI, if you do that, you'll wait forever because another thing's going to come your way. Rejoicing, especially for the believer, who are the only ones I could argue that could actually really rejoice. It occurs in the difficulties of life. And so Paul says again, rejoice. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. Don't, don't rejoice in anything else, but rejoice in the Lord. And he says this, and I write the same things to you. It's no trouble for me and it's safe for you. He has talked about in chapter 1, he's talked about people who are enemies of the gospel who are infiltrating the church and they're difficult people and now he's going to talk about them again but in the face of these enemies okay in the face of these people that make life difficult in the church he is not saying get grumpy he is not saying get mad he is not saying take a chair to them necessarily what is he saying i don't remember i said necessarily okay what is he saying rejoice in the lord it's good that I write this to you again so that you will understand grace and you will understand the problems that are here. But you will not be plagued by them to the point where you will lose your joy. Verse 2 says this, and he's going to use some tough words. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, some pretty high-minded language. I want to go ahead and just explain to you what he's talking about here. That is three descriptions of the same type of people, the same group that he's referring to. And he calls them dogs. Now, some of you are like, oh, oh, dogs. They're so cute. Have you ever seen a puppy? They're, look at them. You, there's like, if you want to waste a day, Google funny puppies or funny cats or funny kittens, and you can like watch videos of cats playing the piano or puppies being cute. You can watch any number of those. You know how I know that, right? Because, I mean, like it happens. You go down the wormhole, but look at the puppies, okay? But dogs in this part of the world at this particular time and in in, in thousands of years ago, dogs are not what we think of, okay? I was in the, I was in the Denver airport. And, um, you know, now they're really cracking down on service animals on, on flights. And um, I noticed I had made it through security. So, you know, when you go through airport security, you have to, like, basically take off all of your clothes. It's very, it's, 
it's very demeaning, okay? So I got the belt off, I got the shoes off, you know, I'm going through the thing where they're making sure I don't have any bomb residue on me, and, and I'm going, and then, they, then, they, then you walk through, they check your gate, and they, 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 you know, I'd hate to be the x-ray person that has to x-ray everyone and see what, what body they got. Anyway, it's a weird deal. So I made it all the way through, and I'm sitting at the, uh, I'm sitting trying to put my clothes back on, and I noticed, like, all these, there was a kid that, some kids that were on a, um, on a ski trip, and they were all like, oh my gosh, look over there, look over there. And I knew they weren't looking at me, because I was like, I'm just putting my shoes on, that's weird. And so I looked behind me, and there is a lady who has a pig, not a teacup pig, but like a, like a full-size pig on a leash in the airport. It was amazing. And I turned around, I was like, that's a pig! And I saw the other guys with me, I made it, I was like, pig! And they're like, what? On a leash. And this lady was highly annoyed that we thought it was cool that she had a pig. And I was like, lady, you bring a pig to the airport, you need to let people stare at you. Okay? That's just the way it is. We think, that shows the difference the way we think of pets and animals compared to the first century. Dogs were dangerous things. They were those things that lived in, in junkyards. They were not sweet and cuddly. These were vicious animals. And when they're talked about in the Bible, to be called a dog is not to be called good. It's a bad thing. So Paul is calling these people. He says, watch out for the dogs. And he's obviously referring to a specific group of people who are ha- causing problems in the church. And then he goes on and describes them in different ways. He says, look out for the dogs. Watch out for them. Look out for the evildoers. And so these dogs, the reason that he's calling them dogs, it, and, and that's a bad connotation, not your teacup poodle, but like these vicious things that could attack you and hurt you, is because they were doing evil. And then he goes further to talk about what that evil looks like, and that evil has to do with look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so these people were mutilating the flesh, but the verse 3 helps us understand what he means when he says mutilate the the flesh. Verse 3 says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and for the glory and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. So that is weird to say we are the circumcision. Okay? You may have heard, if you've seen the movie, We Are Marshall. It's that university when they play football or anything like that, they say, We are Marshall. Okay? We are the Titans, I see the Javon Kirsch jersey over there, Titan up, okay? We are the Titans, okay, in this area, okay? We are the Preds. We are this. You do not hear this very often, and if you do, you might be running in some weird circles. We are the circumcision, because it means what you think it means. And I know that's weird. We are the circumcision, the removal of the foreskin. And that's the last time I'll say that word, but that you need to know what that is in case you were just, well, just had a little bit of doubt as to what that means. We are not making a shirt that says we are the circumcision. Tom wanted to, but I talked him out of it. I said, people won't get it. <laughs> Tom is one of his elders. He's down here in front. You're welcome. <laughs> We are, he said, so these evildoers are those who are dogs who do evil and mutilate the flesh. This is obviously because he says we are the circumcision, which is a weird thing to say. He is basically saying that there are these, this group of people 
who are telling, and they're called, they've been called Judaizers, okay, different things. They are telling people that trusting Christ alone, especially for Gentile believers, those who are not Jewish, that trusting Christ alone is not enough for salvation, that they must also follow Jewish customs, including, but not limited to, circumcision, keeping of festivals, which there's a ton of them, especially Passover and some of the other ones. And also that they were to be, um, uh, not just keeping on the festivals, they had to follow the dietary laws, which include no pork, which bacon comes from pork. So this is very important besides the theological ramifications, okay, for our dietary love of that glorious marbled goodness bacon, okay? That's free. Those things, when he talked about the circumcision, there are these people out here, and the people that are plaguing and, and doing evil are those who are adding on to the gospel. Yes, believe in Jesus' finished work, but you also need to obey all these Jewish laws. And Paul doesn't just say, oh, they're minor league wrong. He says these people are dogs. They're dangerous, terrorizing creatures who do evil and mutilate the flesh, which is, a re which is direct, directly related to circumcision. And then he says to the believers in the church, he says, we are the circumcision. Which means this, through faith in Jesus Christ, if you trust Jesus, you become a part of the covenant people of God. You don't have to keep the Jewish laws. That's not what saves you. It can't be. And, and we drift that way to something else. But in here, there was a drift, and there were these people that saying, it, I want you to follow these Jewish tenets, because they thought Judaism and the works of the law could somehow affect them and make them right before God. But Paul says to us, no, we're the people of God, the circumcised people of God. See, the, the New Testament, and Paul would talk about this in the book of Romans, the, New Te the Old Testament anticipated a day, and Romans talks about it, in which we would not have a circumcision of flesh, which involves a removal, but there would be a circumcision of the heart. And that's what happens when someone trusts Jesus through, through, by grace through faith, a person is made alive by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work, and the old sinful part is circumcised from the heart, and now they are a new creation. And so here, don't get, get this, okay? If you are somehow thinking your Christianity is dependent on be, and by, about being Jewish or somehow connecting your Christianity to Judaism in the sense of like, I need to follow these Jewish tenets to be right with God. That is crazy and wrong and not the gospel. In fact, there was a whole bunch of people in the last town I served in, there was a Jewish rabbi who became a believer in Jesus Christ, and he was making all of these Gentile people in middle Georgia, because there's not a lot of Jewish folks in middle Georgia. Go figure, right? Okay? And so they, he, was, he was making these people adhere to Jewish laws. And we had so many people in our church that would come to me and said, Matt, we had this person who is in my family who's going to this church and they won't let us do a Christmas tree and they're celebrating Passover and they're celebrating Hanukkah and not Christmas and all these different things. And, and they, they're doing these food laws and they're saying they're better believers than we are. And I said, and, I, and it would just make me so, first off, it'd make me angry. Secondly, it would make me sad. Third, I was like, have you ever read the Bible? Galatians, Philippians, 
When, is, when are we ever called to do those things? When Christ comes. That's it's foolishness. It's dangerous. Because he says, here's how we're the covenant people of God. And it shows why we are the circumcision. That's why Tom's shirt might work. <laughs> because we, we are those who worship by the Spirit of God. You're part of the covenant people through worshiping the Spirit of God. How? And you glory in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to glory? To find all your value, worth, and salvation in Jesus. So no longer do you keep the laws, the outward physical laws, the, the festivals, and the dietary laws, and, and, and the circumcision. You, do not, you no longer have to do that because through faith in Jesus Christ and worshiping him through the Holy Spirit, here is what we have. We have a circumcised heart that makes us a part of the kingdom of God because now we are new believers. And then he says this. He says, we are the circumcision. Why? Because we worship, the Spirit. we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh is talking about the inward person. It's talking about your human body outside of, of Jesus' intervention. Okay? And so Paul talks about how, and he goes on in the next couple of verses, and that's what I want you to run down. He goes through his resume. Have you ever put out a resume or applied to a college or something like that? What are you doing? You're trying to make yourself look awesome. Okay? You don't usually put your weaknesses on there. Don't you hate that when you go on a job interview? What are your weaknesses? I'm not going to tell you because then you might not give me the job. Because if I'm too honest, the other guy's lying through his teeth. Okay? So you're trying to like, you, you trying to, I work too hard. I care too much. You know? What is a resume? But putting forth all the reasons why someone should love you, accept you, hire you, that type of stuff. I never forget when waiting for that college acceptance letter, you wanted it, you put all your stuff forward, you wrote the essay, you put all your extracurriculars, you did that, and you're waiting at the mailbox. My, ju my junior and senior year, I was waiting at the mailbox for that college admission letter. Will you let me in? Is my resume good enough? Well, Paul gives his resume. Because there's these people who are saying you need to have this Jewish resume to be in Christ, to be part of the quote-unquote covenant people, the circumcision people. And Paul says, no, the circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh. And it's for those who worship God by the Spirit, who are in glory in Jesus Christ, and don't put confidence in the flesh. But if you do want to put confidence in the flesh, let me give you my resume. So he gets out, he gets out the pen and says, here is what I got. Here's his resume. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul's going to lay out why if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, it's him. And he goes on and he says this. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. Remember, circumcision was related to being a part of the covenant people it's not necessarily just a medical procedure like we have now, okay? It meant something greater. And so to be circumcised on the eighth day was to be in full adherence to the Old Testament law. So what does he say? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. So I'm part of that covenant community of the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the tribes that stayed true when there was a kingdom split. He, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, and that's kind of like you're saying a man's man, okay? Have you ever have, ever heard that? If you get called a man's man, most guys are like, grunt, uh, yeah, okay? What does that mean? Like, I am Superman through and through, okay? Not Superman, but like you're a Superman, okay? You got what I'm saying? Like, you're like one of those guys that like, yeah, I don't need milk for breakfast with my cereal. Eat it dry because it tastes like gravel. Like gravel. Like a man's man. Like, oh, you need that fixed? I already fixed it thinking about it and made it. I mean, like that type of man's man. When it says a Hebrew of Hebrew, he means like he is super Jewish. Like double star David Jewish. I mean, he is super Jewish. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As of the law, not just is he Hebrew through and through, but he is also a part of, he's a Pharisee, which means he is one who studied the Old Testament thoroughly and memorized large chunks, if not all of it. And he studied with one of the greatest, he, greatest teachers of, the, of, of Jewish law uh, in, in when he was coming up. And so he was, he's a guy who had the understanding and the pedigree and the birthright, birthright to be Jewish. All of the things fit. And then he goes on in verse 6, and he talks about not only do I have the personal stock, but then this is how I lived. He says, as to zeal, I persecuted the church. Remember Paul? Remember what he did before he was Paul? Before he was called Paul? He was Saul? And what did he do? He persecuted the church. He was in, even involved with the first killing of Christians because he was so zealous for Judaism that he saw Christianity as a threat and as a heresy. And he wanted to snuff it out, and so he persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What does he mean by that? He says he kept all of the laws. Now, going back in the Old Testament, if you want to have some fun, go read the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Have some fun. There's a lot of good stuff in there, and, and a lot of th- but you've got you to gotta really mine and get in there. And there are some weird laws in there. But he is saying he kept those laws. He was one of those. He's meticulous. He was a person who did it right. Not only that, it says that he, under the law, as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. Now, that's a pretty good resume. However, he is going to say that resume is now worthless. In verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, and he had a lot, he was well-respected, well-liked, well-thought-of, zealous for his former religion of Judaism. And he thought, and if anybody could be right by doing, keeping all the law, Paul said, I had a pretty good shot. But he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. Jesus appeared to him. He realized he was struck by the futility of what he was trying to do, was trying to be righteous apart from Jesus. And what happens? Verse 7, But whatever gain I, I had, I now account it as loss for Christ's sake, because he had turned his back on all of those things that would have given him prominence and position in this religious community because he had seen Jesus. And what does he go on and says in verse 8? It says, Indeed, I count everything, not just my pedigree and my resume, I count as loss, but now I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I, had suffer, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, refuge, 
garbage, akin to something that Ellen was talking about that is in the streets in Kenya. I count all of my former resume and all of all things that I used to have as garbage, refuse, rubbish compared to Christ. I count them all as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And that I might be found, and this is super important, and that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So he puts out his resume and he says, if anybody can be justified by the law, if anybody can boast at their Jewishness and their law keeping, it's me. But I met Jesus, and in meeting meeting Jesus, I now count all those things that I once had and once used to put my hope on, I count all those things as rubbish and refuse and loss because I know that I can't be righteous apart from Jesus. That's what verse 9 tells us. Reading that again, he says, and that I might be found in him having a righteousness that's not my own that comes from the law. See, what the Judaizers and these enemies are wanting these people to do is say, you're right with God by trusting Jesus and doing all the Jewish laws, being circumcised, being following the, following the, 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 the festivals, and, and, and doing the dietary laws. Those things will make you right with Jesus. Okay, that will make you right with God. It's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus this. And Paul is saying, if you are trying to earn your position with God from any other way, that righteousness comes from you. But the Bible is very clear. You don't and I don't have any righteousness of our own. We can't be good enough to measure up. Speaking of keeping it real summer, you ever been to an amusement park? You must be this tall to ride the ride. Now, I don't have a problem with that now. Borderline in some places, okay? But when you were a little kid, 10, 11, 12, and if you hadn't hit that growth spurt, what are you trying to do? Okay? Was, I heard a story about uh, one prominent pastor who went to, uh, his, his daughter couldn't ride Space Mountain, and then he went and he got uh, a whole bunch of napkins and stuffed them in her shoes, and then they rode Space Mountain because she got the lift. Trying to be righteous before the law and trying to measure up to God's standard is like being too short and you just can't get there. It's just the truth. All right, now let's be honest. Most of you guys haven't tried to keep the Jewish laws. Most of you are real uncomfortable that I've said the word circumcision as much as I have. I'm uncomfortable with it too, to be honest with you. You haven't thought about that as being something that would make you right with God. Most of you haven't thought about food laws. And you haven't thought about the bacon double cheeseburger as being an abomination unto the Lord under the Jewish food laws. And many of you have not thought about, have ever thought about all the festivals you got to keep or the sacrifices that you have to make if you're under the law. And church would look a whole lot different. We'd be bringing doves and goats and they'd get a bloody mess up in here. Don't believe me? Read the Bible. But the drift doesn't happen when we go back to 
Jewish laws. The drift happens in one of two ways. If you are an unbeliever, if, you, if, you have, if you're intrigued by the gospel, which we're thankful that, that people who are intrigued by the gospel but not convinced will come to our church, and that's pretty awesome. You don't have to be perfect to walk in here, okay? You don't have to have it all together. You just got to get in the door. Many of you who are intrigued, if you were to ask, how are you right with God, your answer would be something along the lines of, I'm a good person. It might have something to do with Jesus, but usually comes back to, well, I did this, I don't do this, I do this, I do not do this, I do this, I do not do this, okay? It will come to some things of, I, 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 some form of, I can measure up and God will accept me because I'm basically a good person and I do these things that are pseudo-righteous. I know this, I see this all the time, because when people find out I'm a pastor, which I don't like to say because people automatically get weird around you, they always tell me something righteous about themselves. I once gave money to the guy on the street corner for the VFW. It's like it just comes out involuntarily. They asked me the other day at Five Below if I would like to give a dollar to cancer research, and I did. Awesome. Relay for life. Rotary Club. I mean, I love my community. I mean, those are the things that we say. Let me just get, get this for you. If anybody could be righteous by doing good things, it would have been Paul. But Paul met Jesus and he saw all those things are rubbish compared to Christ. And now I'm not looking for righteousness that comes from me. I am trusting a righteousness that comes outside of myself from Jesus. And here, if you, are, if you are not in Christ today, you will never, ever be good enough to know God on your own. You'll never be righteous. You're always you're under condemnation because of your sin. And, I'm not, and, and coming to church is not do better. Coming to church is to know Jesus and to see who he is. And you need a righteousness that does not come from you about what you can do. You need a righteousness that comes outside of you, an alien righteousness which only come through Jesus. And that can't be attained by doing good works. It can only be attained by faith. Paul says in verse 9, what does he say? And I want to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so first off, this is for unbelievers out there. There's a drift that happens, and, and the drift is this. You're far from God, and you can't get right with God by doing more. You're just digging yourself a hole. Because if you dig yourself a hole by this, you know what's right, but you still fail to do what's right. You, can, you, you know what that is. Like if your kid knows it's wrong to eat cookies before dinner and get them out of the cookie jar if you still have one of those, and then they do it, you're more mad at that kid than, than the, than the two-year-old who doesn't get it and doesn't know the law, right? Why? Because that kid violated the rule that they knew. And so here's the thing. When, when we do what's righteous, we're actually digging ourselves a bigger hole because we know what's right, and that makes when we break the law look worse because we knew what was wrong. You can't be right on your own. If Paul couldn't, you can't. And so he's depending on a righteousness outside of himself. So come to Jesus. Put all your hope in him if you're far away from him. Do it now. Do it today. Call out. It says, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to him in prayer. You don't have to do it out loud. You can do it in your head, but call on him and say, I don't trust myself anymore. I got myself. I dug a big hole for myself, and I need to trust you, and that's the only way I can be righteous. 
That's the first drift. The second drift happens for those who have trusted Jesus before. But now we get to the place, because of our bootstrap culture, which pull yourself up by the bootstrap, I need to, I need to make sure that I, I add something and I make sure that I pull my weight and I'm, I'm of my worth. When it comes to salvation, we add nothing. Also, here's, where, here's our drift happens. We think it's, yes, love Jesus, but also it's my works after that that help me attain and help me stay right with God, and God is not pleased with me when I do these other things, when I run away. And this is not an excuse for sin, but this, what this is is, is is this. If you are trying to make God love you more by being a better quote-unquote Christian, you've missed the boat. You can't make him love you more. Your striving is not to make him accept you more. Your works are an expression of your love for him and are right for a new person, somebody who has circumcision of heart, who is new. Good works are a part of that, but it's not what makes you a believer, and it's not what makes God pleased with you as opposed to not pleased with you. And here's how this works out. Ladies, I want to get real with you for a minute, and I'm, the reason I can get real with you is because I have a wife, Okay? And she'll have to listen to this sermon or hear about it, okay? So I get you. I know there will be ramifications for this. Mommy guilt is a real thing. And mommy guilt comes from a heart that wants to justify itself apart from Jesus. Just put that out there. I want everybody to know, organic, GMO-free, the hot dog in my kid's lunch, which is organic, and turkey, looks like an octopus, because I want them to have a sense of wonder. And if you don't do that, then I'm not measuring up. The reason you're laughing is you know it's true. My Pinterest board doesn't measure up. My Facebook life doesn't measure up. They're just lying on there anyway. And they just need, their, they just need approval. Mommy guilt comes from, it comes from a place of trying to be justified righteous in your motherhood, in your gospel Christian motherhood, without trusting Jesus. We try to add to our resume, and we pray that God would accept it. And some of you need to take this yoke off, and you're righteous not because of deeds, but if you're in Jesus, you're righteous because of Jesus, and you're righteous because of Jesus. You're right because of Jesus. You don't have to add anything to the equation. And that's why you can count all things as rubbish because now you see Jesus as that far surpassing treasure. Because if it's Jesus in your works, then you know what you glorify automatically is how good I am. Come and see how good I look. It's like when you're a hus husbands, it's like when we clean the house, which happens like once a year or twice, or never, but let's say you did it, and you're like, they walk in, and you're like, they're like, uh-huh, no underwear on the floor, this guy, hey, bed's made, I Febreze the sheets, I didn't wash them, but I Febreze those things, I vacuumed, I did the dishes, come and see how great I am. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm going to get hurt from that. 
Why do we do that? Accept me, love me, let me show you I love you, let me, all these things. When it comes to Jesus, it's his righteousness, it's his work, it's received by faith, it's nothing we can do, and that's why we look and we glory in him, and we say there's nothing else that we can do to add to our salvation. It is finished, it's done, and those people who say otherwise are dogs and evildoers and those who mutilate the flesh. So I hope you have a confidence in Jesus that sees him as the treasure that he is. So unbeliever, come out of your drift away from God and come back by faith. If you wait till you're better, you'll never come. You won't be good enough. You need a righteousness outside of yourself. Believer, remember, you're saved by grace through faith, not of your good works. You are called to good works, but you're not saved because of your good works. And those good works don't add anything to your acceptance or righteousness. They are just acts of love. And that's why we can say with Paul, I count all things as rubbish. And then he goes on and he says, why, why do I see this? Why do I count all things as this, he says, that I might be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a alien righteousness, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him to the point to his death, that by any means possible I might attain from the resurrection of the dead. And hear me, this last part, Paul is saying that now because I count all things as loss and I trust Christ completely for my righteousness and my right standing before God, now I will put my faith into practice and work out my salvation. And he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection in my life now, and that one day as, as I stay faithful, that I might see his resurrection fully realized in my life and I might gain Christ. That, my friends, is a good message to you and to me. I'm righteous not because I'm a pastor, not because I don't mess up, not because of anything else. I'm righteous. Listen, I've driven to Nashville traffic. I've driven to Atlanta traffic. I've lost my quote-unquote religion many times. My righteousness doesn't depend on how faultless my driving record is or how free my heart is from road rage or that I do good things or I uh, refrain from bad things. I am righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a freeing good news.